Hello, and welcome to the Four Bronx Community Podcast. My name is Laura Levine Pinedo, and I am the founder and the director of the Four Bronx Project. My journey has led me to such amazing neighbors with such interesting stories, and I am ready to share them with you. I invite you to join us as we meet members of our community, such as small business owners and so much more. Let's support local, and let's have a cup of tea together and chat about all things community. Good morning and welcome to our first podcast of 2024. Today I am joined by none other than council member Eric Dinowitz. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. We both have our tea for the community podcast and we both drink it the same way, no sugar and black. So cheers. Cheers Cheers. to tea with no sugar. Um, So it is a very special podcast because it is the first of 2024. Today is January 4th. And we are the Four Bronx Project. So everything number four, it's our lucky number, and we're lucky to have you here today. So thank you. Thank you for, for taking me. time out of your busy schedule. So council member Eric Dinowitz was born and raised in the Northwest Bronx and is raising his family in the district he grew up in. Eric is a community activist, former special education teacher, and chapter leader for the United Federation of Teachers and former aging chair of Bronx Community Board 8. Eric attended Bronx Public Schools and has a personal investment in the success of our students. As a special education teacher for 13 years in our community, he taught and counseled the students who needed the most support. Councilmember Dinowitz made sure each of them had a fair shot to succeed and gave them the tools that they needed to do so. As a Democratic district leader, Councilmember Dinowitz worked to make voting easier and more accessible. He also fought for transit accessibility by joining together a coalition of local advocates and elected officials to bring an elevator to a subway stop. He looked out for seniors as chair of the aging committee on Bronx Community Board 8 and spent hundreds of hours getting critical services to our older adults throughout the pandemic. So thank you and welcome once again. Thank you. So fun fact, we actually know each other for a little while. How many years would you say? Is Let's not age ourselves now, please. More than 25 I think would be accurate. More than 25. You are older than me, I will say. Oh, I was doing, you can say that as many times as you want. <laughs> I was doing the math in my head. I kept saying, at my age, minus 20. And I was like, that number's too big, the number's too, but that's that's number. We've known each other over 25 years. And here we are, full circle. That's right. But this is a testament to Riverdale. It is, a, although it is a big community, it is small. It is a tight-knit community. It is very tight-knit, and people, you know, reoccur in our lives, mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting, so... Yes, we do know each other for many years. It's nice to have you here. So, Thank you for having me. What is your favorite memory growing up in Riverdale? I loved, well, I grew up in, actually, I grew up in Kingsbridge. Okay. So, um, and a lot of my school was in Riverdale. So I, get to, I got to grow up in both neighborhoods. And I think that, you know, just in general, being able to just go out with friends, go to the park and feel safe, go to the store with my friends, like run around the neighborhood, have that sort of uh, get in a little trouble, but nothing, nothing too bad. Right. Um, was really, really nice growing up. I, I have great memories. Um, you know, going down with my friend, we would ride our bikes down to Broadway to some of the stores over there. Back when I ate at McDonald's, we, we used to like bike to McDonald's, and then Riverdale walking to and from school was just was great because we'd stop in our local stores, get a slice of pizza. I'm about to age myself again by saying we used to go. We used to go to Best Pizza. Or Jasper's Pizza. Okay, yes, yes. Slices were like $1.50. <laughs> I sound like my parents. Yeah, when I was, when I was Back young, when I was young, in the we, good old days. <laughs> we got a slice of pizza, a soda, an ice cream, and a, and a bus ride there all for we a nickel. Everything, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they had it all. Everything. Yeah, no, I think a slice now is what? You're not getting it for less than three. Something. You're not getting it for less than three. But we still have great pizza in the district. We don't have 
Best Pizza or Jasper's anymore. We got a lot of other great places. Absolutely. That I, love, I love to go to. Absolutely. So how would you say our community has improved in the last 25 years since the period of time that we were talking about? You know what I see? A lot of what has always made you know the Riverdale great is how close everyone is. And there's always been civic organizations and groups coming together to make our neighborhood better. And I've only seen that improve. And I'm very lucky in my role. I get to work with these organizations very closely. So uh, the Riverdale Y, for example, was always a pillar of our, of our community. And people would go there for classes and community events. But in the recent years, they've taken you know, a step forward in, in, in working with, let's say, ro- local clergy members to build more bridges between communities. They are uh, spearheading uh, um, an initiative which I am uh, sponsoring uh, called the Fellowship Against Hate to get young people working together to, to push back against a lot of the rise in, in hate we're seeing and build bridges. We have a, a Main Street Alliance in, in Riverdale supporting our local small businesses in North Riverdale, KRVC. We have all of these wonderful groups um, that, are, that are really reminding people what makes uh, the Northwest Bronx such a good place to, to work, to raise a family, and to retire. Absolutely. And what do you think makes us stand out, like, geographically with, like, I think we're so lucky that we have access to the city, but then we can get in a car and drive. Like, you know, I mean, what do you think? Like, we're very special in that way, aren't we? The green space. We have, we have the best park yes. in New York City, Van Cortland Park. It's the third largest, but the first best. And all these other playgrounds, we have we have water. Although we are working on getting water access because we don't really have access to it, but we can we can see it. We can't necessarily go there. And you're absolutely right. We have modes of transportation. I, I think there are there are certainly ways we need to improve it. We don't have the access to public transportation. I think bureaucrats and city planners think we do, which is why um, a lot of policy makers who don't live here and haven't been here want to remove parking and remove parking minimums they don't they don't understand the 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 way our community works it's in some places it's it is accessible to transit other places not as accessible and we in this community are more likely to be driving across the bronx or to other places like westchester new jersey queens uh for for various reasons but uh, you know i i I, I do love the, the transit here, uh, you know, various options here. Yeah, it's just like every guest we have on here, that's their answer. Like, why do you love Riverdale? And that they just love the diversity mm-hmm. of city life and a little bit of upstate. And, you know, we're just in a perfect place. Yeah. So um, you don't have to say it. I'm going to say it. I think <laughs> we're the best neighborhood in the Bronx. I, I, I would say the North Bronx the North is Bronx. the best geographic location. Like the North Star. The, yes. Guys yes. <laughs> <laughs> home. Yes. So um, now speaking about our borough, uh, you know, with the Four Bronx, we do a lot of work across the entire borough. Riverdale has a reputation, whether we agree or we disagree, over the borough that people here are wealthy and we do not have a struggling population here. What would you say to people who say this? Yeah, it's, I mean, to be clear, we're, we're very lucky in Riverdale to have such a close-knit, tight community. Mm-hmm. And that, um, those relationships help the very people who aren't wealthy, which is which is most people in Riverdale aren't Kingsbridge, wealthy. Kingsbridge, right. And we, you know, especially during the lockdown of the pandemic, um, I was making wellness calls to older adults. And person after person said they were struggling with food. 
And what was really revealed that for a lot of our senior centers, those were the places our older adults not only got socialization, but got food. And so it was a little eye-opening to me to, to see that or to hear that firsthand. A lot of other people told me, they said, I, I'm, I'm okay because I have neighbors helping me out with food. I have neighbors going out to the supermarket for me and buying me food. I can't really afford it now. Uh, I can't go out. It's not, it's not safe for me. But I have neighbors and friends who are doing that, who are doing that for me. And of course, one just needs to look at the census data to see that the, the data speaks for itself. Right. Um, we are very lucky to have to have wealthy people and people who've done very well for themselves. Um, but it is mixing with people who are, you know, working class on government assistance. Really rely on the services that we provide in the district. Services I know you work on, like baby, sh- like uh, community baby showers. Right. Which I was I was proud to attend. Yes, that was insane. That was huge. <laughs> it was like 500 registered with the NYPD. But the whole thing was when we were, you know, looking at this event, <clears throat> there wasn't there was an argument brought up that is this really needed in this community. And I really had to advocate for Kingsbridge Marble Hill that there is a need. There are people living below the poverty level. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, you know, I wanted to touch on that because Riverdale, from other parts of the Bronx, oh, that's the rich part. But it's not necessarily that. And it's, we know that. Right. And, and it's, one, it's a, a similar struggle I think we have in government, which is I have to convince people that places like Riverdale and Kingsbridge actually do have needs. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, perhaps maybe not as great as other parts of the city in the aggregate, but there are individuals and people and groups of people who are struggling. Um, you know, we're working with a, with a building on Godwin Terrace whose uh, landlord is being, um, is, let's just say they're not, the landlord's not paying enough attention to them. That's about the nicest I can make it. Okay. Um, and they are struggling, they don't know what to do. So what we did was we worked with community partners and we are helping them organize a tenants association. Uh, a tenants association, um, they are talking about withholding rent, they're talking about uh, DOB and HPD violations and doing all this stuff. But you wouldn't, ex- but the point is you wouldn't expect the need for that kind of intervention in a building in, in the Riverdale and the Kingsbridge you described. But the reality is we have buildings and tenants here who moved here because they want a they, they, they want a great middle class neighborhood, uh, and they are they need help getting there, and that's the help we're trying to provide. And it doesn't magically exist in the way again some people may may think it does. Right, right, no, absolutely. So thank you for touching on that. Now moving on, you are a council member. True. For those <laughs> who may not know, what exactly does a council member do? We do uh, a lot. A lot. And how many are you? How many? There's 51 of us. 51. Okay. And we represent different geographic areas in New York City. In, in New York City, we are the legislature, the legislative body of New York City. Okay. So, at a very basic level, we vote on and pass laws. We also pass the city budget, and we vote on land use items. So, when when a, when uh, an area needs to be rezoned, which means you want to build something there um, different than what the zoning allows, we have to vote on that. And a big part of what we do, the, the, the way peop, most people interact with us, though, is by constituent services. And when, when people come in with a problem, maybe it's a pothole, maybe it's a problem, a question about their school, maybe it's something with the parks department or the sanitation, any of those city services, they come into, their off, into our office and we help directly uh, solve their problems and we work with the city agencies to do just that. That's amazing. I'm sure you get a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails. 
We got a lot of phone calls. I actually discovered a new party trick. I, I didn't know this, but I was at, at the, New Year, the New Year's, and my friends were asking me, like, oh, I bet you get a lot of complaints. I said, yeah, we literally get everything. And I, it, it, it came up that there is not a single thing they could bring up, the most, the, the, the wildest thing they could imagine, that we don't get calls about in my office or people don't bring up to me. And right. someone said, it leaves. And I said, funny, you should mention it. There was someone who was fighting with a city agency about whose leaves were on the sidewalk and to which tree they belonged and who was responsible for cleaning up the sidewalk. And you can name thing after thing, but that's our, that's that's, our job and yeah. that's what I love about the job. Um, and we have great, great staff also who, who really do the, the bulk of that work. And that's where we really uh, get to help most people. No, and your staff are very, very dedicated. You know, anytime I call with anything, they're right on it. You know, Jenna's wonderful and Adam and yeah. the Jenna, whole team. I have, so. uh, I have chief of staff, Jenna. Yes. Adam is my legislative and budget director. Um, and But they also do that direct community engagement work. Yes. And no matter how busy they are, they make you feel like you are priority. And, you know, I have to say that. So. Well, because you are. Well, they are. You know, the, and, that, and that's really what the, the focus of the job is and we, we see it sort of on MSNBC and sort of these big high profile elections where you hear time and time again about elected officials being out of touch, not being in the district, spending their time, whether it's in Washington or Albany. But one of the things we do in the office is make sure that everything is centered on the needs of the local community because that is my job. My job is to represent our local community. Right. And that is what I strive for, whether it's in the city council um, voting on bills or if it's directly in the office for the constituent services. Right. Now you cover, just for the folks that don't know, you are District 11. Yes. Now you are Riverdale, Kingsbridge, Marble Hill, Woodlawn. Am I missing anything? Riverdale, Kingsbridge. I'm not Marble Hill. You're not Marble Hill. Marble Hill, no. That's like Manhattan. That Okay, but like Target? I You're not used, Target? I'm not Target. That's uh, oh my God. Sanchez. I used to have one of the Marble Hill houses okay. and then with re that had been split between three different council members. And with redistricting, it is now split between two, um, two council members. Um, suburbs of Riverdale, Kingsbridge, okay, Van Cortlandt Village, yes, Woodlawn, okay, Wakefield, Norwood, and Bedford Park. Awesome. Yeah. Now, so if I go down on Broadway, where's the line? The where's line's two thirtieth Street. The north side of two thirtieth Street is me, and the south side of two thirtieth Street is is Beatina Sanchez. Do you have the Dunkin' Donuts? I believe I do have the Dunkin' Donuts. So if I'm going to cause a ruckus, you better believe it's going to be in your district. Well, so I just want to make sure where the line is. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about shopping local. You know, we can go to the Bagel Corner. You have Lotless. Lotless is the best store. <laughs> I, I, I love. I know. I, I love. Bro. We actually just had the. Um, it's such a. It's such a vibrant area. The 231st Street Broadway. Yes. Area. It is our little hub for sure. It's and we just brought the Small Business Services Commissioner there uh, a month or two ago. Uh, to show them how one and there there are problems there too. We have a lot of smoke shops that are selling illegal products. We're yes. uh, trying to trying to uh, address that, but we have these businesses who have been here for for decades, and then brand new ones trying to make their way. And that's one of the very special things about Kingsbridge. People love going to their local stores. I my tailors over there. The florist I go to over there is over there. My dry cleaners in that area. Do you go to the Taylor on Godwin in 231st? That's the best. <laughs> What's his name? Oh my God. Raphael. Raphael. Yes. He is the yes. best. He's, he's, he is the best. This suit that I'm wearing now, which our audience cannot see, but it's, he tailored it. Yeah, I believe it's first class alteration. First class, he's that's right. But, that, but that's also the story about successful businesses because he wasn't always there. 
a few years ago, he was up the block at a very, very small location. Mm -hmm. Almost impossible to fit in, to get into the dressing room to change your clothes. It was very challenging. But he stayed in the neighborhood to, to serve the, the same customer base at a much much larger location where I think he's doing very well. He is. And it's, it's, I mean, it's just wonderful to see that our businesses are successful in the neighborhoods and staying in the neighborhoods. Absolutely. Yeah, shout out to him. If you ever need tailoring services, he is your guy. Yeah. Um, so what are your first term accomplish, accomplishments that you're the most proud of? Well, it's, we've done a lot locally, uh, legislatively. Um, I guess I'll start legislatively because my background was, is education. It's teaching students with disabilities. And year after year, students would, you know, they'd graduate, they'd go off to college, and they'd come back uh, at my students who, got, who previously got services. And they would say, I'd say, how's college going? And they'd say, it's okay. I'm struggling though because I don't get the extended time. I need help on this. And I said, so I said, look, why don't you get the the time they're like oh I don't get it in college and I was like well whoa, whoa whoa you do you do you are entitled to those services in college and then maybe students did know they were entitled to services but they didn't weren't able to find or access the the office for students with disabilities and then they were able to access the office for students with disabilities but they had to come back to the high school to get copies of their IEP and other documentation and it was just this, this very, you know, I saw a big struggle in our students' disabilities, the students who need the most support, all of these hurdles they had to go through just to get services to which they were entitled. Uh, so I passed a bill in the city council, which is, I believe, could be transformative for students with disabilities. And it's going to sound simple when you think about it, but it, it actually wasn't. And it essentially says that the New York City Department of Education has to be able to electronically transmit IEP data to the colleges. And so what does this do? It does a few things. One is what it'll do is, of course, a student will consent. The DOE sends over this information that a student is coming with a disability. The college now has the information to reach out to that student proactively and ask them to come into the office and do whatever assessments or paperwork they need to do. Um, the second important thing it does is, in the case of CUNY, for example, the IEP doesn't uh, follow you to college, but CUNY does allow you to use the IEP as evidence of your disability, uh, demonstrating you have a need. And there are other documents that um, are in an electronic database that the DOE has that are relevant. And so by sending these documents, it makes it much easier for the student, instead of that student having to come back, find an old teacher, find their social worker, get access to the, to the old uh, system, they can have it electronically transmitted automatically. So the process is going to, should be a lot easier for the student with disability to succeed in college. And that's what we want for all of our students. Absolutely. And, you know, especially when we talk about servicing students with disabilities, giving them every opportunity to succeed, this will do that. That's amazing. I, I hope so. You know, a lot of, a, a lot, I think it is, and a lot of this is always in the implementation of it. How does the DOE do it? And then what does what do our colleges do with the information? Uh, are they proactive as we're hoping that, that they'll be? So I'm certainly in touch with our colleges and in touch with the DOE as they are developing uh, this system. Uh, but locally, I, I mean, I'm one of the biggest things I think of last year was the cricket stadium. And, you know, we were presented this idea. I won't go over the whole thing. I'm sweating. You should explain <laughs> the face you're making. <laughs> I wanted to do an Andy Cohen. I'm not. I'm going to say this. Okay. At a community board eight meeting, that meeting, 
my goal was to be like Andy Cohen and just wait outside with the microphone as people were coming out because that was such a high time <laughs> thing. Oh my gosh! Well, anyway, I, go ahead. The, 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 the administration, I won't go over the whole history of it, but the short of it is that the, the administration presented to us, they, 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 in my view, failed in communication and proactively communicating with the community. It felt as though they kept things hidden and they wanted to, to, to kind of skirt around certain laws. But what we did was we stood together as a community. We do it in times of joy for street fairs. Right. We do it for our local businesses. We do it for pride festivals. But we also do it to fight against things. And we did it with the Bron the community board, Bronx Council for Environmental Quality. And one of the other special things about the, the Northwest Bronx is how aligned a lot of the elected officials are. I, Assemblyman Dinowitz, and Congressmember Torres all stood together. Um, we, we brought the parks chair of the New York City Council, my colleague Shekhar Krishnan. We all stood together in opposing this and saying, you're going around the community, you're, you're, you're doing something that is illegal because it did need park alienation legislation. And we stopped it. We stopped this temporary cricket stadium that would have destroyed Van Cortlandt Park cricket fields, limited access for, for months on end, caused traffic nightmares and who knows what sort of environmental hazards, who knows what sort of damage or disruptions to the enslaved African burial ground. We stopped it. Um, and I was, I was so proud of not just that it happened, but how well we as a community stood together uh, in fighting together for something we believed in, which is a park that has access for its residents and for the people of New York City, not a foreign private entity. Like in this world of you know community and politics, like when some when you disagree with somebody, does it create like an awkward situation afterwards, or you just keep pushing through? Uh, it depends on who it is. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I mean I I mean this with an, as much love, like like in any profession, right. there are people who are, for lack of a better word, adults. Right. And you know the phrase "it's not about you," is a phrase I've had to say once or twice, or and I think it a lot. But I'm very fortunate that most people I work with locally um, recognize that the disagreements we have aren't about the individual with whom you have the disagreement. It's about what we want for the betterment of the community. Right. So, so I was just at a community meeting last night uh, in, in a different part of the district where you know, it was getting a little heated between me and a constituent, a constituent I've known for literally 30 years. And we're very close and we work together on a lot of things. But he cares so deeply about the community that it's it's hard to keep those emotions at bay. And we both want the same thing. We want a clean, beautiful community. Right. Um, and and that happens all the time in the in the council. Uh, and that's why the relationships are so important. That's one of the the very special things about the Bronx, the Bronx delegation, is how close we all are. Like we are we are friends and we work closely together. And when we have disagreements, we're very comfortable with those disagreements, we're not shy about sharing our, our opinions with each other. We don't feel as though it's somehow gonna damage our relationship um, because we all want the same thing. There's nine of you, right? There's nine of us. Nine. In the Bronx delegation, that's right. Yes. 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 So, no, that's great. And I think it's a great group and, and you know, I think the Bronx is very well taken care of. So thank you all around. Um, what campaign promises did you deliver on? That you want to shout out like you know, when, when I, <laughs> and you, when I know I, there's a lot. Well, what, you know, when I, I had I had a basic message that I was going to ensure our community had a voice, and I think the cricket stadium is is a perfect example of that. 
when the community speaks out, I am there to represent the community and their wishes. I, I was begging people. I was looking around. Find me someone. I was begging the administration. I said, find me someone who is in favor of this cricket stadium. And I almost did it jokingly because I knew the answer. No one's in favor of it. Um, but, you know, making sure that they had a voice and that, and that they were and And the, the, the people of the Bronx were heard when, when we pushed back that cricket stadium. Um, I said, I said, students, working families, older adults will have a voice. Um, we did something very special, which, which you'll be surprised to hear this wasn't done before. Um, but we did it in my office for for people with disabilities. Uh, New York City parks, some are accessible, some aren't. Some have accessible bathrooms, some have inaccessible bathrooms, some have no bathrooms. And if you went to the park's website, they would list the parks by borough in alphabetical order. But if you're a family and you're going to a different part of the city, you're not looking up alphabetically right. the park you're going to. If you have a friend coming in with a disabled child or a grandparent wants to take their kid to a playground or a park, they're not looking up alphabetically each park in the no. media vicinity. We don't even know what the names are sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so what we did, yeah. we partnered with Beta NYC uh -huh. and we created a map of all of the playgrounds in New York City. And what you're able to do is search by address you can move the map around to search your area, and you can filter by accessible feature. You can filter if there is or isn't a bathroom, an accessible bathroom. You can filter if there's accessible jungle gym equipment. And it was an incredible tool for all, when I say families, it's all families. You know, maybe you have a young, a very young child you don't, you don't want um, on certain gym equipment. Uh, you have a child with autism, you right. want to make sure there's equipment for them. You have your grandparent going, and they, they want to play with their kids, but they need access for, for whatever reason they need accessible gym equipment or an accessible bathroom absolutely heck if you're a parent you just want to know if there's a bathroom to begin with of course of course so, and i always said this when i was a teacher but the tools we use for a population of people with disabilities really benefit everyone in ways we don't typically think about and i'm going to digress a little bit here but just just because it's uh -huh. so important people understand this think about a, a system like closed captioning which you think was developed for people with um hearing impairments but how many married couples where one wants to stay up watching TV or my kids are asleep in the other room, I don't want the TV too loud, we turn on the closed captioning uh, and the subtitles. We think about things like ramps and elevators, which are, are technically ADA compliant, but think about a parent, like, like I have twins, you know, pushing that stroller upstairs was tough. Any parent with a stroller, any teenager with uh, some sort of sports injury, right. they all benefit from the infrastructure Absolutely. and the tools we provide for people with disabilities. Even parents with disabilities, you know, what yeah. park is accessible for them to take their kids exactly. and have exactly. a more inclusive. I really love the playground on Mashalu by the horse tables. Mm -hmm. I believe it's like a sensory playground. They have the beautiful rock climbing walls. Oh. And, and I love that there's an open field right next yes. to it. That's uh, where my kids and I could just run around, and and the same thing. You see people playing like at like a sports game, like cricket, um, and then you can peek through the the trees and see the horses. I think they're not supposed to see you because they may get scared. But it's such a beautiful area. We all do it. That area, <laughs> um, and and I have some legislation I'm excited about coming okay. up. Um, I'll just mention one, and if we have time, I'll talk Absolutely. about the others. But. You know, in the Bronx especially, we have, we are beset with fires. We just had a terrible fire in our business district, and we've been meeting with the businesses, um, connecting them with services, but we also have residential fires, especially with these... Um, space the, heaters, the right? Space heaters and e-bike batteries, lithium-ion yes. batteries. 
And uh, almost a year ago, I was in Wakefield at a fire and everyone had to evacuate. They didn't have access to their homes. They were evacuated to a local school. And I was there with my colleagues, Kevin Riley, Vanessa Gibson, who appeared on your show, yes. uh, Senator Bailey. And the Red Cross was there helping them get set up if they needed a hotel, got some pizzas. But you know what people didn't have? They didn't have clothing. And they couldn't go back into their apartment to get clothing and other like hygiene products. Now, luckily, the school had some products, some, some items that they were distributing to their students. Luckily, some of the elected officials, we had things we were able to distribute to people so they can go to school and work the next day and clean clothes. But our government shouldn't require luck. You know, the, the ways people move forward isn't by luck. So I have a bill actually prime co-sponsored with Councilmember Riley, which simply says in each community district, the city has to find a space where we can store some clothing uh, and, and some other products people need to, to go on the next day and the next day temporarily so that we're not in a situation exactly. where, um, you know, where we need to rely on what people happen to have. Now, we were, again, lucky in the Bronx after the devastating Twin Parks fire. People were looking for ways to give and they were inundated with clothing. And that was very lucky. Monroe College. That was the, like this storage. Yes. Yes. Um, and in fact, we've been collecting clothes at my office. Uh, for various reasons, but again, it shouldn't re rely on that. So what we have moving forward with this legislation, which will be heard this year, is to say we are going to pro pro provide a structure in place. So in the event of a crisis, again, especially here in the Bronx with the fires, uh, people will have access to things like clothing so they can go to school and, and work the next day uh, and take care of the other business they need to take care of after having a fire. That's amazing because we're always scrambling. You're right. We're it's always, always scrambling. Scramble, yeah. yeah. And there are people like you and, and the Four Bronx Project which which put out the social media posts to say we need we need donations right now um, and we, which is wonderful. But it would be great if you could say we need donations for tomorrow a or stop or for like yeah. the next day. So we are prepared for the next Absolutely. crisis. Absolutely. I agree with that hundred um, percent. now as chair of higher ed what is your view on the current state of CUNY, and what have you accomplished as the chair? CUNY, CUNY, CUNY. is one of CUNY. Very, I, I will say for those who are listening, they know, they know, they know. It's very complicated, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a sec. But CUNY is the engine for upward mobility. Uh, it's it, 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 it's just incredible. You know, when my dad went to CUNY, uh, he went for free, and then when I went there, I was part of a program called the New York City Teaching Fellows. No subsidized. Uh, my master's degree was subsidized, which was wonderful. Um, but Q one of the one of the things is CUNY costs money, and it's you know for some people that's fine, uh, but for a lot of New Yorkers uh, that's that's really tough. Um, and then once you get there, there aren't all of the services that you necessarily need. And so one of the things that we did in the New York City Council this year. Um, was we specifically funded a program called ASAP for our two-year colleges and ACE for our four-year colleges. And those are sort of wraparound supports. And essentially it says, all right, you're here at college, we're gonna make sure you have the, 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 the supports you need. And that can look like uh, a Metro card to get to and from school. It can look like the financial support that students need. It can look like setting them up with, to, to make sure they know what housing uh, vouchers may be available for them. Um, food, maybe set them up with a food pantry if that's what it's actually need. Um, because school, and I learned this uh, being a teacher, school isn't just about what happens 
within the four walls of the classroom. School is not just your transcript. It's about all the things that play into your success and prevent your success. And so I saw it as a high school teacher. Students were hungry. They weren't doing as well in school. Um, when, when, when they had issues with their housing, they weren't doing as well or they were absent. So we say with this program, which is really just what college and all schools should be, saying how can we ensure that you succeed, uh, it is providing the wraparound support. So we, we, we elevated those programs to the extent that it was specifically named in our budget. Uh, last fiscal year, for the first time, uh, under the leadership of uh, Speaker Adrian Adams, we implemented a program called CUNY Reconnect. Uh, that is a program which seeks out students who have some college credit and brings them proactively, reaches out, brings them back, and again, provides them support, things like advisors they need to make, just like ASAP provides advisors, this provides advisors to make sure they have the schedule that they need. They're taking the right classes, that any credits they have are properly transferred over, and doing that work to make sure they get the college diploma. Uh, and the estimates from CUNY says with this program, the lifetime earnings of the people who are enrolled in this program, um, the difference between not having the degree and having that associate or having that bachelor's is $1.9 billion. Just going back to ASAP for a second, um, the studies, the well-documented studies have shown that every, for every tax dollar that goes into the ASAP program, it retur the return on investment is between three and four dollars. And the reason I bring that up is because we often talk about what's right in the in our budget, the moral, the morally right thing to do. I believe the morally right thing to do is to provide our students with all the supports they need, right. to reach out to people, to provide them opportunities. It also happens to be good fiscal policy to say we want people earning higher incomes. Uh, we, you know, we want a good return on investment. And so, if you're just looking at it from a budgetary perspective, you could say, well, we're going to be bringing in more tax dollars by spending this $1 than we would by just cutting programs like ASAP, Reconnect, and ACE. And I bring that up because we are facing a bit of a budget crisis where the administration has proposed cutting these programs, which will have a detrimental effect on our students, on their lives, absolutely, and on the fiscal outlook of our city. Absolutely. I mean, I know when I was in college, I was, you know, I have to pay bills, you know, so mm -hmm. it's a constant... You know, someone turns 18, you know, they need to go out and make money for the family. Yeah. They can't get an education. So I think CUNY is is really an amazing um, city entity. And yeah. could you imagine where we would be without a CUNY? I, I can't. I, I will add one other thing we did with CUNY is la uh, early in my tenure as higher education chair, um, I, I think it's become clear to the broader public after October 7th. Um, but it was clear to a lot of us in the Jewish community, and I, and I chair the Jewish caucus. I, I chair the, the membership uh, of, the, of the Jewish members in the city council. I'm the chair, the chair of that group we have together. Okay. So I'm both the chair of the Jewish caucus and the higher education committee. And what became clear to more people after October 7th is that there really is an anti-Semitism problem uh, in our country, and especially on college campuses. We saw anti-Semitic incidents increase roughly 400% since October 7th, uh, and we've seen things on college campuses, deeply disturbing things, of students being locked in libraries at places like Cooper Union, death threats against Jews, and for years, CUNY was grappling with this real problem of, of, of a culture 
that made a lot of Jewish students feel unsafe, either directly or indirectly. And so I held a hearing on anti-Semitism. It lasted, I think, about seven hours. And we had administration officials testify. We had student after student testify. Um, just really heartbreaking things about how they don't feel safe on campus, how they report things and nothing's done. They don't even get a response to emails when they report discrimination. And you know, the truth is, you, you should, the questions you should be asking when you go to college are, are, what are the academics like? What programs are there for me? What extracurriculars are there? Not, am I safe? Right. So we held this hearing, uh, and then subsequently, CUNY set up a centralized portal for reporting discrimination. Um, whereas it had been college by college, we, after the hearing, they set up a centralized portal. They set up uh, a committee specifically to deal with their problem, uh, an advisor committee specifically to deal with uh, their problem of, of anti-Semitism. They allocated a million dollars to go to um, th this sort of work, including bridge building between Jewish groups and non-Jewish groups, which really is some of the most critical work that needs to happen is really that bridge Absolutely building. Absolutely, interfaith economy, connection. Interfaith connections. Um, and, and by the way, I will just add, going back to our institution, again, Riverdale Y is one of those institutions here in the Bronx. And I was very proud in, in the last budget to secure an extra quarter million dollars in the hate crimes initiative to do that bridge building, to fund organizations that bring together um, groups that would otherwise not interact with one another um, and have them talk to each other and, um, and build common understanding. Because we don't want to be in a position where we are addressing hate after it has flourished, after people have hardened their positions. We don't want to be in a position where we are suspending students expelling students or arresting people right. uh, for things that we, can, that, that we can build a better foundation for early on and within our community. Right, so thank you to all these organizations that are making this happen. It's, it's, it's really wonderful. Um, is there anything that frustrates you or presents a challenge to your position? <laughs> we need another podcast just on oh this, God. right? <laughs> I, you answer that question, I say, I say, where do I begin? Um, I think a lot of people are frustrated with city agencies, um, and I am too. Uh, we, we try to work closely with them, but there are so many different layers of bureaucracy that it often makes it hard to get things done. And very often, you know, I find that sometimes like, I'll call a commissioner about an issue. After we've tried you know, dealing with the staff and dealing with the bar commissioner, and call the commissioner and, and they'll say, well, that seems like a silly problem. Why don't, let's just fix it. And sometimes it's sometimes not that easy. But sometimes it 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 gets fixed because you know the people who are the employees are just working under directives that were designed right. to to make sense. They were designed to help as many people as possible. But in certain circumstances, just you know you know don't work. Uh, you know, I found this especially true with the Department of Education when I was negotiating this special education bill. Um, we had meetings with the Department of Education, uh, and they said, they, they presented to me, hey, Eric, here's all of the things we're doing for students with disabilities and their families and the teacher. And they presented me these 95-page documents of things they give the parents and things they give the teachers. And I, and I said, these are very beautifully written documents. And if a person, if a family's only job was to read this one document, it would be great. If a teacher's only job was to read this one dissertation on services, that would be great. 
But we have a ton of things to do. And from the perspective of a DOE employee, they are creating a great resource with lots of information. But it's being implemented in a way that's, that's not helpful because a teacher doesn't necessarily have the time or ability to read that document on top of all of the other 100-page documents that another division within the Department of Education is making. A family does not necessarily have the time or ability to read that 95-page document along with maybe they're talking to a lawyer because it's so confusing. Maybe they're also talking to their teachers about the students' grades. Maybe they're also talking to the after-school program. Maybe they're also just trying to make dinner, which, which is something all of us parents, we're, we're juggling all right. these things. And so I have found that the, the bureaucracy within our city agencies sometimes Often, <laughs> always, always. it's frustrating, and it's so. And that's what some of my other legis my legislation, other legislation seeks to cut through. Right. And that's a lot of the work that I and really my staff does is cutting through that, talking to the right people to make sure people's problems are solved. What do you do to like zen out? I drink tea. You drink tea. <laughs> no sugar. <laughs> no no sugar. on the edge. Maybe a little honey. Oh, honey. honey, okay. And I'll say, I'll say one other thing. I go to the farmer's market and I buy some Bronx honey. Oh, honey yeah. Honey that's made from bees that's, in the that's Bronx. That's veteran owned, that company. You know yeah. that, right? I, do, yes. 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 Uh, we love our veterans. Yes. I could also mention the veteran bill. If oh, we actually, <laughs> the city council passed a bill on 1220 pertaining to veterans. Please explain your role in the passing of this bill and what does this mean to folks in our community? Well, it was my bill. <laughs> so I was, yeah, yeah. Well, so I used to chair the Veterans Committee, and I, 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 I didn't grow up with you know a ton of veterans. My mm -hmm. grandfather was a veteran, but he died when my dad was a kid. Um, so I didn't, uh, so I didn't have a lot of that surrounding me growing up. When I became chair of Veterans Committee, I, it, it was actually a you know a big honor because I was with these people who took an oath to serve our country, our constitution, and, and protected me. Right. And they've never met me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, they don't know who they're protecting, but, but we are protected by our veterans. We are served by them every single day. And so early on, my first bill that I, that, that I, that I passed as a council member was actually a veterans bill. And what it did, we have a veterans advisory council in New York City. And one of the things my bill did was it added two members to that advisory council. And those two members are family members of veterans. Because when a veteran uh, goes, off, uh, goes, go, goes off to serve, uh, the family is, off, is, is left behind. And I have friends whose spouses serve, and I, you know, certainly my friend was just on a 10-week uh, uh, deployment, and you know, the, the, the spouse was there taking care of their, their four children. Um, and so the family members also sacrifice a lot so that our, you know, our veterans can serve. And so we ensured the, this, the, the voices of family members were there. The other thing it did was uh, ensure that New York City defines veteran as anyone who served, not just those who are honorably, honorably discharged. Right. And the reason for that is you have, you have only about 85% honorably discharged and a little less than 15%, I believe, discharged with other than honorable. And then like less than 1%, I think, dishonorable. But that around 15% other than honorable, they may have been discharged for something related to a mental health issue. They may have been discharged related to, to LGBTQ status under right. Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Going back, it could have dealt with pregnancy, skin color. And so what we said in the city because of this legislation is anyone who served, you are a veteran. 
And so now we are passing another round of bills. This is top two on the mental health roadmap, dealing with veterans. What my bill did, and this is about government working better, is, is to simply answer the question, who are our veterans? And so you imagine you go to a senior center, you fill out a rent freeze application. A person's putting down their information. What my legislation does is it says on any of these forms, anytime a city agency is getting demographic data, information from someone, they ask, have you served? And then it asks, can we share this information with Department of Veterans Services? And then we have other legislation which passed about doing outreach because we have a lot of great mental health programs, for example. Um, doing outreach to our veterans, to proactive outreach, to make sure they know about all of the services we have. We have services for veterans uh, about housing, making sure that if you're a veteran, you know that you are entitled to services, uh, mental health services, financial services, housing services. Um, and, I, and I don't just put in a piece of legislation and end there. <coughs> Excuse me. We are partnering. We're partnering with the Department of Veteran Services, and we are having a representative in my office. Starting this month, we're going to have a, a representative monthly in my district office at 277 West 231st Street, specifically to deal with issues related to veterans. That's amazing. So anyone who's listening, if you're a veteran, if you're a family member of a veteran, if you are a caretaker of a veteran, please make an appointment with my, with my office to come in and meet with this representative who could specifically deal and, and address your needs related to, 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 to the veterans. That's amazing, and I wanna share this with you. You may not know this. My father's a disabled veteran, uh, Marine Corps, and when I was a child, he was in and out of homelessness. Uh, he suffers with PTSD still to this day, mental, his, mental illness, addiction, and I have been my father's advocate since 15 years of age dealing with all the programs and lack of, and I think we've come a long way, you know, so this is very important to me, so thank you for that. I don't know any better advocate for your father than, than you. I mean, you know how he calls, I'm like, hi, <laughs> this is his wife, like, he wants, you know, like, make, like, like I said, I'm like, I'm like, you know, yeah. 35 years old, but uh, yeah, no, and it wasn't, it was pretty rough, like in the early, you know, yeah, you know, two, what am I, 2005, 2006, so I think it's getting better. Uh, he's in Massachusetts now, doing much better, yeah. but, um, do a lot of work with the Kingsbridge uh, VA, James J. Peters. Yeah. So the vets are something very close to my heart, your heart, all of our they hearts. Are, they're very lucky to have you have you serving them, and and I I believe wholeheartedly our city needs to do a better job. Yes, I mean we we see how the federal government, uh, especially you know the Republican Party in my view, talks about supporting our veterans and our military, but when it comes actually to to funding things and implementing programs. They kind of fall flat on their face. It's not that way in the city council. Uh, we have unanimous support for, for my bills for this legislation supporting our veterans. Um, and there's more to do, no doubt. But with this legislation, we are going to be able to do a better job reaching out to them, making sure that they know we are here as a city to provide for them, making sure they know what services are available to them. Right, and I also like believe that it's important to tell the vets and show the vets this you know everyone comes around around veterans day mm -hmm. around november but you know what about march what about june you know so that's what yeah. we like to do and you know that's amazing that you're going to have this to your office starting january right yeah. so I, I'll, I'll add one other thing about veterans just because i think it's so important Please. going back to um those who have other than honorable discharge right what we we fund a number of initiatives in the city council including mental health support through nonprofits uh, for our veterans, but we also 
fund legal organizations to do discharge status upgrades. And it's a different legal process than, you know, housing court, for example. Um, but these are people who go back in the pe person's record. And for, I think, for L if you're an LGBTQ community member and you were discharged other than honorable, uh, there are services we contract with in the city to provide you with that discharge status upgrade because a lot of federal services are only available to you if you have an honorable discharge status. I think in many cases, including the VA hospital. Right, like 100% service connected and all that stuff, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, today, actually, which is <laughs> amazing, begins your discretionary funding application online, correct, for fiscal year 24 to 25. Mm -hmm. And you continue to support KRVC and our community-based programming. Any advice for nonprofits here in our community looking for funding this cycle? I, I think the, the most important thing to me is, is, is to make sure that your work is having an impact on our community. Um, I always like to see the programs myself um, because um, besides the fact that I enjoy it, it really gives me joy to see if, it, if it's students doing an after school program, if it's older adults at a theater club or a book club, I really actually you know, enjoy seeing it. Uh, but it's also important uh, to make sure that taxpayers know that their money is being spent wisely and being spent appropriately. Um, so I would encourage any organization that wants to apply or has applied in the past and is reapplying okay. uh, to ensure that I or my staff come see the program to make sure um, you know to make sure we see the, the the impact of your work and its impact on our community members. Awesome. So like it starts today and then it closes in February, I believe, right? Uh, that sounds right. There's different processes and different dates for um, expense and capital. Okay. And for those of you listening, who the the, the main difference is expense is uh, like day to day operations and uh, it could fund salaries. Capital uh, are uh, there's a there's a minimum of fifty thousand dollars, I believe. And it has to have like a five-year at least lifespan. So we funded a number of capital items in our budget, including things for our schools like smart boards and laptops, uh, but also a track at Intech, uh, bathrooms at PS24, library at 141, um, you know, new I think drainage and, and, and green infrastructure at the Riverdale uh, Riverdale neighborhood house, uh, technology for our libraries, including the, the Kingsbridge Library. Um, so so those are some of the things. Uh, that the capital funding can go to. And I should mention my favorite this year. What? I shouldn't say my favorite, but the one I think dealt, we had a lot of collaboration and it's going to be incredibly impactful and the work is happening so quickly that I'm so proud of how we all work together um, that we funded, we, we secured $5 million working with Bar President Gibson and Councilmember De La Rosa, mm -hmm. a new football stadium, new football field, at John F. Kennedy campus. Nice. Uh, new scoreboards, bleachers, lights, uh, and I've already seen the, the pictures, the, the updates. It's, it's beautiful, and the, and the students are starting to have the infrastructure they deserve, the infrastructure they see in so many other parts of the city when they go around for their football, football games is coming to them at John F. Kennedy campus. That's amazing. Um, I'll add one other thing is through the budget process, through our hearings, one of the things I didn't mention that, that we did in the beginning, but we hold oversight hearings. So um, when we had, when we pass the budget, before we hold hearings of, and we bring the agencies in to ask them questions and hold them accountable to the budget. And this is where I brought up Clinton, uh, the Clinton High School campus. There were a number of- Beautiful campus. 
beautiful. Oh my, oh my beautiful gosh. Class. By the way, side note, last time I was there, mm-hmm. I found the yearbook okay. of my grandfather wow. who graduated high school there. What year was that? It was, uh, it must be like 1941, wow. I think. Wow, so He was born in 1922. Um, and, but one of the things we did was we, uh, was we said the Parks Department is doing this great program where they're teaching kids to swim. They're having a lifeguard shortage. DOE has pool. And I said, DOE, you have pools. Parks Department, you want to teach kids to swim and you don't have lifeguards. Why don't y'all talk to each other about Clinton? Uh, so, because it was a pool. <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> that was a little more at the hearing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, the pool was was out of use for years. They did, and so, in part because of the pressure at that public hearing, they renovated the pool, and we just had a beautiful ribbon cutting a couple months ago, and now the students have access to a pool and now they can start competing again with their swim team without having to go to another school or they can have all classes they, they have the opportunity to our community. yes and they have the opportunity to do lifeguard classes right um so although that wasn't a direct budgetary allocation because of the budget process i think it, it was during a time where we, we were able to exert a little more uh pressure right and if any of the nonprofits locally want to reach out, I believe Adam is the point of contact in your office. So Adam Sarpoli is the point of contact in my office. They should ask for him. We in the Bronx will soon be holding a borough-wide uh, training on uh, discretionary spending and applications. Okay. Uh, we we it, it'll be end of January, beginning of February. We haven't settled on a date this yet. This year. This year. This year. You better let me know. I will. I will do, it'll be my Adam. email. Like By the way, I want all of you know, if you're not signed up for my email yet, you should be. Everyone should be. Because we put these things in the newsletter. Okay. Um, you can go to ericdinowitz.nyc slash newsletter. Okay. Um, and not only, not only webinars we have, and we're looking forward to having more webinars to inform the public, more public forums, um, but I also take a lot of time in my newsletter to describe... A lot of the legislation I, I, I go in depth sometimes and some people you know it's a little, little long um, but a lot of people really uh, value having not just a description of the legislation but why I voted for or against something and that communication is very important to me and of course the education piece is paramount and that was my career for almost 14 years and so it's important to me to continue to educate people about what's going on, the, the actual work I'm doing, and some of the nitty-gritty legislative stuff that, you know, sometimes seems boring and mundane, but it's really important, uh, and, and people people can and should read about. So ericdinowitz.nyc slash newsletter. And social media. Eric Dinowitz NYC. That's Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to say Twitter anymore. The what artist, is it called? It's X. called The Artist Formerly Known as Twitter. Oh, X. And you, you, you read, read New York Times and they go X parentheses, formerly Twitter. They still do that. Uh, Facebook, we're on all the, not TikTok. Not TikTok? You um, should. Sure you'd be like, I, <laughs> <laughs> we could do the first video right now. I, 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 feel, I, feel like I, I feel like we're not allowed because something with China and stealing something. Yeah, I, uh, maybe you're better off. But it'd be, it would be very entertaining to say the least. I think your twins. We could do our first TikTok if you'd like to. Yeah, right? I think the twins could have their own TikTok. Twin, Twinowitzes, that's what you call Twinowitz. them, right? Twinowitz. Well, it's not actually... What's what I call? I, I would say a handful of people independently, Twinowitz. independently, uh, called them the Twinowitz. The Twinowitz. I love, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. The Twinowitz. The brothers Twinowitz. Um, going back to Clinton, you did something there called Meg's Garden. 
Was that a Clinton? So yeah, um, so I'll just say, you know, um, Meg was, I, I actually knew her uh, longer than I knew you. She was um, a friend's mother, a friend I went to kindergarten with, um, but she was a community activist. I mean, she was everywhere. And then years, years back, I forget the year at this point, um, she, she, was, uh, she was tragically killed in a, in a bike accident. Um, and there was a garden at Clinton that was named after her. Um, and it's the, the James Baldwin Outdoor Learning Center runs this garden. Now, one of the, it was actually one of the first things I, I did um, as a council member um, was save this garden. And in part, it was, you know, certainly it was her namesake. And I, I, I remember her coming to my kindergarten classroom and playing her guitar. I just have this vivid memory and singing. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I have seen firsthand the impact outdoor education and gardening has on students. And I saw it because I did it. I was fortunate enough to work at the John F. Kennedy campus where they had something called the Enchanted Garden. And I worked with a friend of mine, his name is Danny Steiner, uh, who he, he taught me and then I subsequently brought my own self-contained class down. Self-contained classes are students with uh, disabilities who have more needs um, and need to be in, or, or, or deemed to need to be in a separate smaller classroom, um, while others may be in the general classroom, mixed students with and without IEPs. I would bring my self-contained class there. Um, and that's where I taught them a lot of environmental science. And, and I would see them be so engaged. I could teach them about compost, uh, decomposition, worms and ants eating away at things, or I can lift up a log or lift up a compost pile and show them the, wor the worms and pill books crawling around eating things. Um, I can tell them about growing things, or we can build garden beds and plant seeds together and they can watch their own things grow. And the education goes beyond what they're learning about the environment, things you would otherwise get in a textbook. We have a health crisis in the Bronx. We're the least healthy county in the Bronx. Um, and I, 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 I saw students, they, they bring like the potato chips and the Doritos and the Pepsi and the Sprite for breakfast. Um, and then I bring them to the garden and I take a little cherry tomato off the vine or something and, it's, and I put them in my mouth and I say, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm eating. <laughs> and then we'd have this whole conversation about where food comes from. And so many of them, they reluctantly at first take a tomato, they'd eat it, their eyes would widen at how good it tasted, they'd start eating more, they would take beans off, they would take basil, they had an herb garden, basil and oregano and mint. And then some of them started, you know, instead of getting that Doritos bag, they started getting an apple or a banana. Um, and instead of the soda, they'd start getting, you know, water. Right. Um, and so the health impacts of this and the long-term benefits for our students can't be understated. Now, what, there was um, an effort uh, to remove the garden, and I will try to use the quote they used, put back, they said, put the garden back in its original landscaping, I think was the way they described it. But they wanted to mow down the garden. Um, and they had already started taking down some trees and bushes. And so we rallied with, um, you know, the James Baldwin Outdoor Learning Center, some community members from Kingsbridge Heights Community Center, some students to save the garden. And we saved the garden. And now students are still able to go there. And the other, and the other thing we did was we preserved the outdoor space for the farmer's market 
that is there every Saturday. Right. And because they also wanted to remove access um, for that. And when we talk about access to healthy food, um, a farmer's market is a great way to have that access. And we provide things like health bucks, which allow people to purchase items at farmer's markets. And it's also community building. Absolutely. We spoke about community building earlier. I love earlier. a good farmer's market. A farmer's market. They have people who, you know, I've, I've read poetry and children's books there. We have people who read books there and do coloring with kids. They have cooking classes there. They teach composting. So to get rid of the garden and to take away the, the access to the space would have been detrimental to the students' education, to their health, and to our community as a whole. And so I was very proud of being able to save the garden and access to that outdoor space for our farmer's market. That to this day is still every, every Saturday, still That's meeting. Amazing. I remember they had um, up by Clinton, when you go like Mashalu Parkway, they had a farmer's market went, like by Jerome Avenue. Yeah, so so that's actually there's a Grow NYC market okay. by DeKalb, right around right by Mashlu Montefiore Community Center. And you know the Amish people, they sell they sell there. Really? They this is like I haven't been oh, there so, in years. Sorry, there's two there. There's two. It's different like in ones. the park in the square by the four trade. Yeah, so there's one there. Okay. Um, which which is great, and uh, there's another one on uh, it's on Gun Hill off of Jerome. I know what you're talking. About. Yeah. So that's when you said Amish, I said I don't. No, I don't they, think so because they bring their pies. They're amazing. I gotta get one of the pies. The jellies and stuff. I haven't been there in years, but um, I know what I'm getting next. But the but speaking of discretionary funding, Grow NYC okay. is one of the organizations that we fund, and with that funding, they are able to continue their in part, one of the things they do is the farmers market. Just to have access to fresh, you know. Right, and we stood there, you know, we stood there with with health bucks. Um, uh, and you know these are these are essentially like free money, um, or like you know you can double your money and say hey like come get some fresh produce. Right. We'll help you out. Um, you can apply for them. I, I believe if you're a member of Health and Hospitals, and there's there's a few other things you can get health books. There's all sorts of ways to get them, but access to these uh, the, this 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 funding for individuals to go ahead and get fresh produce at their local farmers market. Um, so we're proud to fund that and, and the farmer's market and making access, um, making it accessible to people. Right. Moving on along, you have supported and attended many uh, events at Four Bronx. Us, our little, our, us little people here have put on, um, this year we, we did the first Riverdale Women's event, Pride. Which has been your favorite event and why? I, 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 okay, this, no, this is going to get me in seriously. trouble. It's not going to get me in trouble, trouble. just seriously. No, um, no I, the, the women's event, each event was unique, and I think that, I'll just start by saying that, your, the baby shower was, it was, it, it was, it was they were all fun, but the, the baby shower was great, um, it felt very, I don't know, community, there were, there were raffles, there were all sorts of things there. Um, the women's event was very elegant. I know. I felt. I think I was in a suit and tie, and I still felt underdressed. I got my dress uh, altered at Raphael's on two thirty first. Oh, hey, <laughs> there you go. That there was like, really elegant, right? And the Pride event was just so fun, and there were so many different things. I think probably the Pride event was my favorite because I brought I brought, I brought my kids to that because there were a lot of activities uh, for my kids to do, and I I I, I love. Our community and I love bringing my 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 children to to these events so that they can you know that they have fun and that's what community yeah, is is like about, a whole family fun. event and I'm looking forward to your next Pride event and bringing my kids. It is June 9th. Seeing and what you have in store for us this year. But more important than this, 
what pride means, and I'm, I'm saying this here, I do pride with Mike Gabert from Flexus, he's my partner in this. There are members of this community who don't feel like they belong. And pride means so much to them. I have people in tears over pride. And it's just something that, like, you know, I started, my sister's gay, so, you know, I, I understand, and, you know, she hasn't always been accepted, and that was my motivation, but it's really important to bring this community together yeah. to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community, not only during June, but the entire year. So thank yeah. you for supporting it. And I, 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 I'm going to say one of those things that I wish you didn't have to say out loud, but we have to. And it's the reason right. we have these events and we, and we say it is everyone belongs. Everyone belongs. If you're a member of the LGBT community, you belong. And, and, I, and you are represented in the city council well represented in the city council as far as district 11 is concerned and and the council as a whole um, has passed a number of pieces of legislation uh supporting the lgbtq community whether it's reporting on lgbtq uh, members uh, at, at our shelters um whether it's funding providing for mental health support specifically targeted to our lgbtq youth there's a lot that this council is doing to support members of the lgbtq community right right so now i want you to sit back Relax. Well, don't sit back too far back. The yeah. microphone. Um, we're going to do a sixty-second lightning round with oh. Council Member Eric Tinsley. <laughs> so we do this with the elected officials. Okay. I just like to see you guys nervous. I got sure. everything. <laughs> no, no, no. We did it with BP Gibson. We had a great time. Okay. All right. I should have studied. I should have listened to. No, there's no studying. This is all a surprise. So you have right. to just do what comes to your mind. Nothing too crazy. Don't worry about it. But just come, just say what comes to your mind. You ready? Uh, not really. You're, I'm a little nervous. I need, I need, I need some herbal tea to calm me down. Okay. <clears throat> take a sip. All right. Why? Well, I, I finished my oh tea. Oh God. So. You want to water? Take a water. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. What food do you hate? You would never eat it. Peanut butter. Really? Okay. I understand it's going to lose me votes, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm at the point where I tell people I'm allergic to peanut butter because they just don't understand how I couldn't like peanut butter. Wow. What is more difficult, being a council member or a father of twin boys? A uh, father of twin boys. <laughs> what was the most memorable day, memorable day of your term thus far? Oh, um, I... One word, one word. <laughs> inauguration. Inauguration. What was the hardest day or event of your term thus far? Uh, a tough, I had a tough vote last day in the meeting. The happiest day or event of your life thus far? Oh, well, um, wedding and children born. Children born. Favorite Broadway show? Music Man. One thing you are grateful for personally? Uh, my family. What is your guilty pleasure? Uh, Oreos. But Double stuffed or regular? Okay. Easy now because this is going to sway all of us. No, I'm going to tell you what I do. And, uh, don't say triple uh, stuffed. Please no. don't. Don't <laughs> well, say they, I, I... I, uh, this is going to sound terrible. I, I take two double stuff for you. <laughs> All right, double That's stuff for you. This podcast is over. Uh, double stuff for you is obviously with milk. Okay. What can you not leave your house without every day? My, my phone, because I'm addicted. Favorite snack? Oreos. Oreo. <laughs> Favorite TV show? Oh, I, 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 Doctor Who, but like, they, they got to get back on track to like actually having new episodes. What is one personal hobby you would like to try to improve on this year, such as going to the gym, more often juggling, learning French, whatever it is? Well, I, I know how to juggle. Um, oh, excuse me. Yeah, so <laughs> I, actually, I happen to be very bad at it, okay. but I would say I don't want to get better. I would say going to the gym would, or music. Go to the gym or learning to play? Well, playing better, yeah. What do you play? Um, piano, guitar. 
But okay. again, it's very important. Not well. Not well. Which okay. is why the getting improving is is part of that. If we get into a car right now and you're driving mm -hmm. and we're going on a road trip, what playlist are you putting on? Uh, I, I'd probably go to Pandora and just type in Billy Joel and then whatever plays that. What's your that. favorite Billy Joel song? Billy Joel song. This is getting um, really intense. Now. Quick. Very, I like Zanzibar. Okay, I wonder if it's my favorite, but I, you know, you go in phases. I'm like, I'm liking digging this one now. Have you seen him in concert in the I garden? I have. Amazing. In the garden, no. Amazing. Not, not in his uh, franchise, but I saw, I've seen him in concert. I drove to Philly with a bunch of friends to see him there. Um, I, I went to Albany to see him. We, we saw the Billy Joel out and John face to face. He's amazing. Oh my God, that's so I cool. Love, my love favorite it. song is Vienna. That's a good one. Okay, I thought you were going to say like 50 Cent or something. I was like... <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> or Broadway, the best of Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> Describe the Bronx in one word. Amazing. Okay, all right. Um, and that's it. That's the lightning yeah. round. You oh, did it. I did it. You did it. Great. I, you did it. It wasn't too bad, right? It was... It was you were really no nervous. Well, because you said I should be nervous. <laughs> no, I just like to hype you. I wanted to hype you up. But. Yeah. So what is um, in store for Eric Dinowitz in 2024, in a nutshell? Well, what we're looking forward to a few things. One is, um, in my capacity as council member, besides trying to practice piano more and maybe okay. going to the gym once per year. So your goal is to be Billy Joel this week, My God, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't think I'll ever get there. He's, he's incredible. But I, in my office, we, we are looking forward to having representatives from different agencies. I'm very excited about this because with a lot of people come in with housing issues, veterans issues, um, you know, they, they run a building, the Department of Buildings, uh, f tax issues, and I always said, you know, I wanna make sure we are bringing city agencies here. We are literally bringing city agencies to the district. Right. Um, we, we hired a new staff member, Stephanie, who's gonna be working on more community outreach. I'm looking forward to a lot more community engagement, um, education with the community about a whole host of issues. I have a few pieces of legislation on the docket. We're gonna be improving the 311 system. I mentioned my fire safety bill. Uh, I have a couple of housing bills on the docket. Uh, and then, you know, really just looking for, you know, looking for ways to help uh, more people getting out into the community even more. I'm very, uh, very excited for what 2024 has in store. You sure about that? Because don't don't say things you're going to regret. We'll have you out in the community every day. I, I, <laughs> I, I like to think I'm out in the community every day. No, but like whether it's a big we can we can fill that schedule. Whether it's a big pride event no, okay. or it's a smaller, more intimate a tree lighting. Uh, you we know. sounded horrible singing. I'm sorry. That tree lighting, <laughs> the tree army, and a shout out Steve Patternack. We did a great job with that tree, but my God, did we sound horrible? You we know sounded what? like straight cats screaming <laughs> in the moon. Like you didn't. No, I, I really sounded. Well, you sounded. We need to work. This is our goal for 2024. We got to get better at singing these Christmas carols. What, what I was surprised at was that oh. I. A person who doesn't sing Christmas carols in the home, because I don't right. celebrate Christmas, I celebrate Hanukkah. I knew all the Christmas carols, uh, and I was very, very, very proud of that. It was wonderful. It was, I guess I got a good education at PS Twenty Four and One Forty One. And that's the beauty of the Bronx. We're exposed to everybody, everything. So we just, you know, we roll yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love it. We have access to everything here. So, pitch us one more time. Give your pitch. Where can we find out about you? Join your newsletter. 
if we have grievances, questions, compliments, <laughs> can, I'm sure many people will call with compliments. Oh, actually, I, I got a compliment about Jen. I have to. Sh I haven't shared it with her yet. I got it. My mom sent me a screenshot of a great compliment Aww. she got on one of the one of the Riverdale social media pages. Um, but I encourage all of you again to sign up for my newsletter. It's ericdinowitz.nyc/newsletter. A lot of in-depth information about goings on in the community, legislation, what we're doing. EricDinowitz.nyc slash newsletter. And of course, social media, Eric Dinowitz, NYC, Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. And we look forward to seeing you next time, community. Thank you so much. Well, friends, that wraps up another episode of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, email me today at laura4bronx at gmail.com. Join us next time.